Hey, my name is Daryl, and I serve as a deacon here at Church of the Incarnation. And I want to welcome you to the first Sunday of Lent. So it's been a, been a few days now in the fast. How are you guys holding up? Pretty good. You look great. Um, I see you put oil on your foreheads. I don't see any disfigured faces. Uh, if you were here on Ash Wednesday, that was the, anyway. Um, anyway, luckily for you, if you're having a hard time, these past three or four days have been really rough on you. Uh, today's a feast day. Uh, so we get to celebrate. So let the rivers of meat and sweets and liquor or wet beer, whatever you drink. Uh, it sounds really gross, but it's an awesome thing. So let it flow in your lives today. Today's a feast day and the fast starts again uh, tomorrow. So we've just come through the season of Epiphany. And Epiphany is this time where we're really exploring the revealing of Jesus, the manifestation of God's glory in Christ. We have the Magi bringing gifts to Jesus. We had the transfiguration, we had Jesus' baptism, recognizing Christ's kingship, his divinity, and his connection to the long story that God's been telling throughout the ages. In all these epic moments, we get to see the curtain pulled back just a little bit, and we get to see Jesus' identity as God's son. And the hope throughout that season is that you have a renewed or clearer vision of who Jesus is, and maybe having your own epiphany. And the season of Lent comes to us as this space to go even deeper. So we have a new, refreshed, renewed vision of Christ. And now we get to the good work of cleaning house, preparing our hearts and lives for Pascha, for Easter, which is just a few days away, 40-ish days. So now as we look at our text today, we'll see that the lectionary has us rewind a bit. We just talked about the baptism not too long ago, uh, and we're right back into it. But we'll notice, compared to the other Gospels, that the story of Jesus' baptism and temptation in the wilderness is much more stripped down here. It's more bare. Mark's account is short and to the point. Mother Jenny spoke about it last week, um, about how he's on a mission. He's heading towards the cross, and he spends little time with introductions, uh, getting into the deeper details. But what he does give us is something very dense and very powerful if we have eyes to see and ears to hear Our text today starts with an introduction to Jesus, and it says this. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. In those days, what days is he talking about? The days everyone was waiting for, the days that the Messiah would come. And we talked about this during Advent, so if you've heard this before a million times, bear with me on this one. But God had not spoken in a while. He had been silent. And that type of silence can be deafening. If you've ever prayed and asked God for something or prayed that you would feel his presence or prayed for anything and you have to wait, that can be a really difficult season. And they had done this for generations and generations. They heard the stories about what God used to do, how he used to uh, interact with them, how he conquered their enemies, echoes of this like faraway place. And now here they are. God is silent. They're conquered again, oppressed. And they've got several things kind of weighing them down. On, On one aspect, they have Rome right, who's conquered them and over them. It doesn't feel good to be conquered by, by another country and be, have that pressure on you. But also they were alienated by the religious elite, who rather than pointing them towards God, were more interested in their own personal piety and their status. All the while, the people, the people just wait, hoping that God would send their Messiah to set them free, that he would turn the world back to rights. In the beginning of Mark's gospel, he starts with a quote from the prophet Isaiah which is really a clutch message about the Messiah. He says this, See, I'm sending my messenger ahead of you who will prepare the way. The way for who? Right? The Messiah. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. And now here in the text, we have that happening. 
right? These are the days that Isaiah was talking about. The days of the Messiah, all their anticipation, all their hopes and prayers, God was coming close. And as our text starts today, Mark walks us through the baptism of Jesus, and it's such a powerful image. Because he says that when he lifted Jesus up out of the waters of the Jordan, the sky was torn apart or ripped apart. And then we see the Spirit descending on him like a dove. Echoing the prophet Isaiah who cried out in his prayer, Oh, that you would tear open, that you would rend the heavens, and you would come down. And then the voice of God speaks, and these words are so important. Quoting, I'm going to use the kingdom translation, which I love. He says, then there came a voice out of the heavens. You are my son, or you are the beloved. You are the one I love, and you make me really glad. Now, there's so much to unpack in those words. But over the next few minutes, what I want to do is lean into the idea of identity. And more specifically, how our identity defines our wilderness experiences. So the question of the hour is this, where do you find your identity? Who are you? Identity is found in all kinds of places and things we don't choose, right? Like the country we're born in or the skin that we have. We find it in our political affiliations. We find it in our career, a good career, our families, in our status, how many likes we get. But often when we think about identity, we look outside of ourselves for things to define us. It gives us a sense of community, a sense of belonging where we don't feel alone. But the interesting thing about identity is that whatever you believe about yourself is true. At least it's true to you. We all know that negative person. <laughs> um, I've got someone in my family that uh, everything every goes, always goes wrong for this person. They talk about it all the time. It's not my wife. And, <laughs> but they always say that something bad is going to happen to them. And guess what? It always happens to them, which I just think is amazing. Um, and if you believe, for instance, you're in your car and you say, I always hit red lights or I never get a good parking space. The universe lines up for you just to make all these things come true, which I think is really funny. If you believe that you will always lose, you begin to arrange your life in such a way that you start to fail. And you fail and you fail and you've kind of arranged your, your thought patterns in your life to where that, that's what comes out. And if that's true, then the converse of that is also true. That if you believe you're going to be successful, you'll start to arrange your mind and your behaviors in a way that will bring you success. Not all the time, but generally. This isn't about manifesting and this is not self-help talk. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying this is just how it works. The problem is, though, if we build our, uh, our foundations, if we build our confidence on external things, there's going to be a time that come when your life gets shaken and where you're driven out to a wilderness season. And if your identity is based on your cultural status, on your social media likes, on a relationship or a career, the wilderness is going to be a very difficult place for you. You're going to come up short, empty-handed. Because when the storm comes, when your company does layoffs, of which I've been through several, I'm a layoff expert, by the way, if you ever, if you ever have some layoff questions. Um, or maybe you have like uh, a relationship that you really loved and you thought was going to be everything. You built your life around this relationship and it comes crashing down. Whatever it is, we find those moments as we're sitting there that we've built something on sand. And, looking, and if you think through this, uh, if you've been around Sunday school for any amount of time, uh, you know what happens when you build a house on sand, right? If you, if you don't know, ask someone. They'll tell you what happens 
There's a nice song that goes along with it, too, that I couldn't remember when I was writing this. So looking back, um, thinking about identity, I've struggled with issues of identity my whole life. Growing up, I allowed my insecurities and outside pressures that were around me to kind of define who I was, for better or for worse. Like, for instance, at a very young age, uh, I picked up on the fact that I really wasn't good at sports. Uh, you learn that pretty young when you're the last person picked in dodgeball over and over. And you start to think, man, uh, I don't really fit in very well here. And over time, I began to accept those experiences as just truths about myself. So I pulled back from those things, and I, I leaned into other things. I, I got really obsessed with music, with monsters. I used to draw monsters on everything, particularly Frankenstein, which is the best monster. <laughs> Amen. Science fiction, video games, right? I, I, I lost myself in my imagination, but it was more than just a phase I was going through. It was me as a kid working out who I was, where I felt safe. I was looking for identity, something that would help me stand tall. I just wanted to know that I was seen, that I was valued, that I was beloved. In our text today, we see Jesus finding his identity in his sonship, knowing that he was loved and seen by the Father. And that's at the heart of what's happening in our text today. It's so important that this happens, though, because immediately after God speaks those words that we saw, immediately after that, the text tells us that Spirit drove him or pushed him into the temptation, into the wilderness, into challenge. And the text tells us that all at once the Spirit pushed him out in the desert. He was in the desert 40 days and Satan tempted him there or tested him. He was with the wild beast and angels waited on him. The baptism of Jesus, God's affirmation over him, led directly to wilderness to a confrontation with the powers of evil. And we're not given the specifics in Mark's gospel uh, as far as what happened here, but we do know a few things. We know that it happened for 40 days. We know that Satan tempted him. We know that he was alone with wild beasts. There was no one there with him. And the angels waited on him. Biblical scholar William Lane says this, Jesus' obedience to God is affirmed and sustained in the wilderness the precise place where Israel's rebellion had brought death and alienation in order that the new Israel of God would be constituted. I love that. What are we seeing here? Passing through water, wandering through wilderness, temptation. What's the imagery that we're seeing here? This is Exodus imagery, right? Jesus is walking the journey of Israel into a new Exodus. He did in 40 days... By conquering all these things in 40 days, what Israel could not accomplish in 40 years. And it's directly related to his understanding of who he was and the spirit that was in him that empowered him to overcome. So what does that mean for us? I just want to take a few moments just to share a few observations I had as I read through this. First of all, we are not alone. One of the greatest temptations that we face when we go into the wilderness seasons is to believe that God isn't there, that he's not present. Or like Israel on their journey, believing that maybe God is absent or given up. I've gone through many seasons in my life where I didn't know if God was there for me anymore. I felt abandoned. I felt left out. St. John Christostom says this, In this desolate place, 
the Spirit extended the devil an occasion to test him, not only by hunger, but by loneliness. For it is there most especially that the devil assails when he sees us left alone and by ourselves. In the same way, he also did confront Eve in the beginning, having caught her alone and apart from her husband. That was powerful. Several years ago, I had this conversation with my boss that I'll never forget, and it fundamentally changed uh, the way I view myself and the way that I saw myself. I'd recently gotten promoted at work. Uh, I took on a lot of responsibility, and I was managing a very large territory with a lot of people that were relying on me uh, to make sure that they had what they needed to be successful. And I was, I was really nervous because I was possibly in over my head, or definitely in over my head. And in a candid moment, I remember sitting down with my boss. I drove up to Charlotte. We were sitting in his office. I remember it uh, vividly. And I told him that I was afraid of failing because I didn't want to let him down. I'll never forget his words that he said to me. He said, Daryl, I am not going to let you fail alone. He said he would be with me and we would work it together. And if I did come up short, if if I made the mistakes, he would be there to help me stand back up. I had an advocate, right? I could take risks. I had someone in my life that would stand with me and give me the confidence that I could be the best I could be and the assurance that they would be with me no matter what comes my way. I knew that I was safe and that allowed me to stand. It allowed me to weather difficulty. It allowed me to navigate hard times. Are you hearing this? In our text today, before Christ headed into the wilderness in temptation, the Father spoke that same affirmation over him. You are my beloved in whom I am well pleased. The Spirit descended on him and he wasn't alone. And that very affirmation, that assurance of his identity, affirmed and empowered Jesus for the wilderness seasons. People, this is our identity. We've been baptized into Christ and what's true of Christ is true of us. Right? God is with us. He is in us. And with you, he is well pleased. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to impress God with your ability to look holy or fast really well. He knows it all. And that affirmation about him needs to trump any other narrative or story that you tell yourself. Because people, if we don't start here, if we don't start with a clear understanding of who we are in Jesus... We're going to fail at the first whisper of temptation. We're going to throw in the towel. This is our identity. Secondly, with regarding to Lent, you are not earning favor with God or disappointing him by your fasting abilities. Lent is about Jesus, not you. And at the end of the day, fasting really isn't about us at all, right? We know that Easter's coming, and because Easter is coming, we want to prepare our hearts for the season of Easter. N.T. Wright uses an incredible metaphor here uh, that I love about a house that's grown dusty and disorganized over time. You know how this happens. Uh, you, you go to your house, you take off your shoes, and you leave them by the, uh, the couch. <laughs> My wife complains about that all the time. Uh, mail on the counter, right? You walk in, and you drop the mail on the counter, and the next day you do the same thing. You forget to sweep for a couple of days. There's cobwebs that you walk past all the time that get worse and worse, bigger and bigger. And then one day, one day you look around and you're like, man, this place is a mess. Um, well, I really need to do some straightening up in this house, right? How much does that reflect our own spiritual lives? Lent is that time set aside for us to clean house, 
And while we're at it, it's also a great time to do some reorganizing, some spring cleaning, right, in our hearts. Maybe move the couch over here. Maybe put up some art over here or change the curtains in our lives. Time to make changes. It's time to adjust our rhythms. Church, where are those places in your lives where you feel a little dusty? Where the day-to-day of life or simply getting by has caused you to overlook the weeds that are growing in your heart, out in your yard? You've allowed clutter in your house. It's harder to get around in the hallways. Can you see clearly out your windows in your life? Have you neglected rooms or places in your heart? People, life can be distracting. It's very distracting for me. And it's so easy to lose sight of the important things. And our fasting is meant to change our rhythms and to bring us to the place where we can notice those things. To allow the dust to settle in our hearts that we can see clearly, take stock of our lives, and then allow the Spirit to lead us into wholeness. Because we do not do this on our own. We do all this fasting not so that we can impress God, but so that we can align ourselves better with him and his call and his purpose. And my prayer for us today, here at Incarnation, at the beginning of Lent, is that, number one, God would renew your baptismal enthusiasm. This is a really important thing. That you would see and know that you are, they are loved, beloved of God. And that you would weather the wilderness seasons by allowing the Spirit to lead you and guide you as it did with Jesus ages ago. The good news is that he's already overcome these temptations. God's kingdom is here and now, and we will never be the same. So church, repent and prepare your hearts for Easter. It is just around the corner. Grace and peace to you during the Lenten fast.